Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey Ron, how are you today? I am really good, Pam. I, I'm really good. Looking forward to today's episode. It's an exciting one. It is. Yeah, you know, can you imagine um, graduating from high school and what's the first thing that you're thinking of? Freedom. Freedom, right. College. Yeah. Um, you know, with our guest today, um, freedom wasn't so free yeah. after college, but right. I think he's um, come a long ways. So I'm excited to hear his story. How about you? I am too. It's one of those deals where, you know, for, for years we've talked about um, gaps. We've talked about needs. We've talked about things that um, classes and activities that, that need to happen. And, um, you know, focusing today's episode on young adults mm-hmm. um, and, and our, young, our new young adult support group, um, that's something that's needed to happen for quite some time. That's right. So if you're listening, know someone um, in that young adult range, make sure you share this and encourage them to get out and go to the support group. Yeah. Giving homework early, Pam. That's right. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, so today's guest, super, super excited. Um, you know, many of our guests um, are, and our instructors kind of fall in our lap mm-hmm. and because it's the right person, right time, right situation. And this is no different. Right. Um, we've searched high and low and felt like, you know, this was the right place to be with the right person. And so very excited uh, to introduce everyone out there listening to Tanner Epps. Tanner, how are you? Good. How are y'all? Doing great. And Tanner, uh, we, we talked early or late last year uh, about you coming on board uh, here at the center and helping with our young adult support group. We're very excited. Uh, thank you for doing that. Yes. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, if you will. Yeah. So uh, I work at Hillside Christian Church right now, uh, but when I was diagnosed with my uh, cancer initially, uh, I was in high school. I went to Tascosa High School. I uh, was I graduated two weeks prior, and actually just on the way to church camp. And uh, wait, 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 two weeks. So you graduated on the way, and then you were on the way to church camp, and you got the phone call. Yes. Yes, I had been experiencing just some pain in my leg. Uh, I, I did landscaping, and so I was just, I thought I was having just growing pains. And uh, so my, my mom had convinced me to go to the doctor. I had some just sharp pain one night. So went into Dr. Parker's just walk-in orthopedic clinic and yeah. uh, got an x-ray. And uh, that was, so he suggested to go get a bone scan done at BSA on that Friday. So Monday I went to church camp with, with our church and about seven hours into the eight-hour drive to Durango, Colorado, I got a call saying that I had a malignant tumor, and the phone call dropped. <laughs> of course, I was about to say, that was just about what I was about to say. I'm surprised that you actually had service, but you had the luxury of hearing a part of a phone call that you never want to get. Yes. And then you dropped it. Exactly. Holy cow. What was your thoughts? I just got chills, Yeah, Pam. like I'm thinking... 19 and trying to process that I can't imagine yes and I tell you it was it's always been a thing that I just I hear about cancer diagnosis and I think oh that's something that will happen to somebody else older people have older people I've experienced it in our family Uh, it's been again a lot of older people in our family but again I've just never would have anticipated that so just having conversations and laughing with friends and you get that phone call yeah, because I can imagine. I mean, Pam, we've been to church camp, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been to camp. I've been to camp. The ride on there to the camp, you're so excited and amped up and jazzed and ready to have uh, four or five days of just crazy fun. And then you get this phone call, and then you don't even get to complete the phone call. So how, what happened then? Did you did you manage to call them back, or how did? So my mom was actually she had taught at the church for a long time, and I and I knew that benign was not cancerous. I assumed that malignant was cancerous. Uh, I didn't know if there was multiple kinds. So I walked to the front of the bus where my mom was and said, Hey, what does malignant mean? And she said, well, where did you hear that? I said, well, the doctor had just called. So there's a malignant tumor and the call dropped. So she said, we'll call him right back. So when I called, they said, Hey, we see enough. I know we haven't had any, we haven't got to get a pathology on it, but 
we can tell that it's malignant with how lit up it is. So we need you to come back as soon as possible and get started, take some, get some tests done. So I just remember kind of just sitting there and at that time it wasn't necessarily fear. It was just the moment it just kind of just drowned out. I was just, yeah. <laughs> I remember just sitting there and just kind of thinking my mom had told the bus driver to stop pull and pull, pull over. over. And, yeah, <laughs> We have service right here. Pull over. Yeah. Yeah. She said to drop us off in the next town. And I said, no mom, it's okay. <laughs> like let's, we'll, we'll go on to Durango. Dad will come pick us up afterwards. And, um, it was a, it was a great place though. Again, in, in community to, community to have gotten the phone call and uh, just a great place to be surrounded by your church and a lot of loved ones. I'm just thinking as a mom here, you can't even, the doctor doesn't call you. Yeah. Cause your kid's 19. 19. He's an adult. He's an adult. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which that was something that was a common theme uh, over the next year. And then beyond that was uh, the doctors talking to me getting to make all those decisions. And, and, and I was appreciative of that. And that was something that my parents kind of struggled with, especially my mom. Uh, Pam, I'm going to, I'm probably going to shock a lot of our listeners. Okay. You are. Yeah. So, (laughs) and I don't know if Tanner knows this, but I actually taught a high school Sunday school class with his mom and dad. And so I know his mom and dad very well, and I can totally see your mom like not being okay with that. Yes. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm his mom. You can talk to me. Exactly. You're yes. like, no, we're going to talk to Tanner. Yes, exactly. Well, we and want our kids to grow up and to be an adult, but at the same time, we still want that control. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and from the diagnosis on, even just with uh, asking the bus driver to stop, and I just said, hey, mom, let's 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 not do that. Let's go ahead and let's continue on. Uh, just even from the, the very beginning, it was kind of the common theme as we yeah, went on, yeah. and, and, and which ended up being something, too, as it came down to uh, – decisions for surgeries. Of course, I definitely sought their counsel, but they were also appreciative though, that I did get to, when it came down to decide down the road to amputate my leg at some point, do I keep it? Do I do this or that? They were grateful though, that I was at an age that I could make those yeah. decisions yeah. too, but it definitely came with, with those. Well, yeah. Because your decisions are lifelong. Yeah. And as you just said, a potential, because I, I remember that being a, a discussion. Someone had said, oh, pray for Tanner and his family. They're having to make a decision about amputating his leg or letting it, you know, hoping that it continues on to heal. Yes. And that, that takes a lot of the pressure off of mom and dad of saying, I think you should do this. But yet you are vested in your own uh, decision makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. So so you, you make it to Durango. You come back home, start the process. What's that like for in, in for a young adult? Yeah, you know, again, it was just from from the initial phone call on. It just kind of seemed like a blur. <laughs> it was just a, uh, again, it it felt like something that could happen to something somebody else. But like this is a dream. I, I, yeah, I just never would have even even with having gone to the doctor, <laughs> had the scans done. Uh, it just never in my mind that I think it would be anything beyond just something petty or like growing pains or something like that. So, so again, it was very surreal feeling the whole time. And, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations with people, lots of tests and lots of waiting. And, uh, as somebody who's always like in school, I wanted to be on top of everything, uh, was definitely perfectionist with grades and everything like that. I think just, there was just a lot of patience that, did end up getting developed that definitely wasn't there yet. But I think even, even beyond fear, just because it was just, again, surreal was kind of the the biggest theme throughout that and how I felt that. So you came back, you had to find a doctor. You're not a kid, but not an adult. Um, was that hard trying to find the right fit for you? You know, we, we came back home uh, and I was at Harrington Cancer Center here mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Sharp, it was again, weird seeing one of my, my grandfather's doctors, cancer doctors sure. that, that he had had. And, and again, it was another just decision to be made uh, asking if we wanted to go to Lubbock or go down to Houston to MD Anderson. So um, again, yeah, that was a, that was a hard decision because we wanted to be uh, closer to home, but he he definitely heavily recommended going down to Houston. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to 
to also just go where Dr. Sharp, somebody we knew and trusted yeah. uh, here in town and from experience to, to go where he suggested to go. And yeah. I think, so for us, it was just definitely a hard decision to be made. Uh, but I think early on, I decided that I wasn't going to do any research. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't. Whoa. That, yeah, that was, I was just about to ask. So how quickly did you get online and, and start looking? But wow, that's impressive for a young adult mm-hmm. to, to not, to resist the urge of sure going to Dr. Google. Yeah, no, I definitely had those thoughts and I know a lot of people do. I don't know if there's definitely exactly a right or wrong answer with that, but I think for me, I wanted to be able to make the best decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. And I just know that it's, it's so different for everybody in their situations. So you're trusting someone who's an expert. You're trusting your physician, yeah. your physicians, multiple doctors. You're trusting what, what they know and have their experience. Cause naturally 19 does not have much experience with osteosarcomas. Right. Sure. Well, and you know, I, I, as a Christian, you know, we were at a church camp and we got the initial diagnosis and had a lot of, initial reminders of that as well. But, you know, there's definitely the category of things that I know God is definitely in control and trust that and praise Jesus for that. Uh, But I think the same thing, that same type of, I know there's decisions that we need to make within that, that God allows for us to make. And I think just initially with the doctors as well, it's, I know God has given them that, that, Mm -hmm. that knowledge. And uh, there were still some decisions and leeway and some pushback, amongst the, with, with the doctors and I, but, but again, it was just like, Hey, I know that they know what they're doing. And similar to that relationship yeah. with God, I know just in this circumstance, it was something that was so beyond me that I just felt like, man, that's, I think that was just the best way was to let the doctors kind of drive that. This should be like the happiest time of your life. You just graduated, but then you got the diagnosis. What happens to college life? Yeah. So that, that kind of dissipated, you know, so, uh, right away there was some, the, I had my preliminary biopsy and, uh, that had come back and said that it was medium to high grade. The doctors were surprised based off the scan. So it had appeared that I wasn't going to need to have chemotherapy or anything. So I was very excited about that. I'd already went on to the new student conference at Texas A&M down in college station. And so after we had the, the biopsy done, and about two weeks later, we get the actual pathology, and it said it was 93% high grade. So it was... A change a, of direction right exactly, away. Exactly, exactly. So the, the biopsy came out of that 7% and was kind of misleading for us. So uh, we instead of getting to start school in the fall still, which we thought was still going to maybe get to happen, um, we knew we were going to get delayed for at least a year, if not three years. So, yeah, it was a... The, I think that was the the hardest thing uh, overall because I, again, it just was something I needed to take a day at a time. But just in general, the thing that really kind of weighed on me from being in the waiting rooms and then later being in a hospital bed was sitting on Facebook and seeing all my friends that were mm-hmm. <laughs> that did get to that independence Moving that in I was and yes doing all the yes that was definitely I think the hardest thing for me to to have to watch that when I was so ready to, yeah. to get to kind of taste that, that, that oh. Did you see your friendships change because of your diagnosis? I did, you know, I just obviously the, the initial just geographical sure. <laughs> changes uh, we had um, just over the years, friends that had moved off to, to Houston, uh, some friends of my parents that were just critical to us to get to, we stayed with them as before, as we were talking to the doctors before we got an apartment down there. And, um, but even, even as I came back regularly back to Amarillo in between, it, it did, the, the friendships changed. Um, it was neat to see some of the friends who, um, I was fortunate to have a lot of friends in high school, but just to really get to see those who really just were there for me and would come and check on me every day or come yeah. and pick me up to, help get me out when it was icy out <laughs> kind of how it is right now and cold yeah. uh, to get to see just those friends and family that kind of helped get me out of and encouraged me to get out of the house and not just kind of stay as a hermit yeah. <laughs> on the days that well, I feel and, like and it. to have those breaks, those mental breaks and mm-hmm. have those um, mini adventures, if you will, 
and many meaning small, you know, things like that, that you are able to do. Uh, I I would imagine, and I was just thinking the same thing, Pam, when, when you asked that was, I would imagine you really find out at that moment who, who's with you and who's kind of moved on because of life, not, not for lack of them not wanting to be here, but they're going off to school elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, I had, you know, tons of just people reaching out and calls and texts and lots of prayers that I knew that I had from many friends and family who weren't able to engage to the degree that they even wanted to. But, but no, it just, it definitely did change uh, kind of what, what friend group I was around. And, and again, I think the biggest thing is who I was willing to, to let be a part of my life. Inside your circle. Yeah. Oh yes. Wow. I, I'm just trying to, I've always thought, Pam, anytime we have a young adult that comes, it's just not fair. Cancer's not fair period, but it's really not fair in instances like this where you have um, lots of things about to happen that just come to a screeching halt. Um, I think you had told me one time though, that because you'd already been accepted at Texas A&M that they honored that Yes. later. And in fact, like, like you said, I've definitely heard that a lot from older people about it's just not being fair at that age. Um, and, you know, again, just still to think, I know Chris got the things that he allows yeah. to happen, but I actually felt like uh, if there was ever a time to be diagnosed, it was when I was because I had already completed high school. I didn't have to, to go through arrangements with teachers like a lot of my Finals, friends who were younger. This, mm-hmm. Exactly. And since I hadn't been, hadn't started yet at Texas A&M, I was grateful that they were, legally obligated to keep me accepted for up to three years so that I had that secured and I was able to really just kind of without many responsibilities, just really get to focus on treatment yourself. That's a very interesting perspective that that was the right time for you almost. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Ah. So you start treatment. How long were you in treatment? So I, I did chemotherapy for eight months. Uh, So it was, six, six week cycles of chemo. Uh, it was, it was two weeks of chemo. Uh, I would have a three week break and then it would end on a one week of chemo. So really it ended up being three weeks on three weeks off, even though it was kind of staggered on what was technically the first of the treatment. And how many surgeries did you have? So I've had uh, three surgeries. So, so my osteosarcoma was in my leg. So, um, just initially to remove the cancer, they, they put a cadaver bone in and and did some rearranging. Sometimes I feel like a Mr. Potato Head on how they can <laughs> rearrange body parts. But, um, you know, the first the first uh, surgery didn't take well because the chemotherapy didn't allow my leg to, to heal properly. Uh, so I had a so it was three it ended up being three larger surgeries on my leg. Uh, the second one, I did the same surgery again started to work, started to get progressed in college a little bit. And then, um, my, my leg snapped in half one day <laughs> that there was a plate that was bracing my leg and, uh, it just, it kind of just snapped. They said it had happened one other time at MD Anderson, that it was definitely a risk. The longer that I was, uh, having to, to have it in there without getting to actually get to start walking. Yeah. That was kind of a risk that would happen. So, at that time, I did a put an internal prosthesis in my leg. Again, that was one of those decisions I mentioned earlier that um, I, I went in and they said, hey, you're going to have to have um, the, the doctor looked to the PA and said, hey, um, what does Thursday look like? So five days, we're going to have to have surgery. Um, you need to decide if you want to keep keep your leg and do the internal prosthesis like I decided or just to amputate it, which would have allowed for some more there's pros and cons to either. So, um, to, to get to do that. So what so, day was this? He was telling you this. Oh, five um, days before your surgery. Yes. So exactly. This would have been Friday or so. Yes. Uh, I think that's right. Um, Friday of that week so prior. Take five days, figure out if you want to amputate your leg or not. Yes. Yes. And I, I think, I don't even know if I can make that decision at, at not 20, Nine, 19, yeah, think, 20. Oh yeah. At the time it would have been, I would have been 21. Cause I just, yeah. Gosh. Hmm. I don't know if I could have prepared myself for that. You know, again, still <laughs> wasn't, wasn't prepared, but 
just my initial conversation with my parents as we kind of waited for, uh, we actually had to wait for uh, a, a man to come and cast my leg to keep it because it was loose, <laughs> literally <laughs> it fell apart. So um, as we were waiting on him, I just asked if I could, if we could just fly to Amarillo to kind of make that decision around family and friends and to get to talk to some people that I knew that had had amputations to talk to some of the people at the hospital that I'd met who had had the internal prosthesis put in like I did. So I think I really had a lot of phone calls from that to made some white, I chose some wise counsel. Sure. Yeah. And, and one of the, one of the guys that named Steve at Southwest that he had had a prosthetic leg that was really encouraging through the whole process even, but he um, got to have conversations with him and man, what, if, if you were able to have, I know you didn't get the, the, the luxury to have a, to make a decision on this, that that was made for you. But man, based off pain, phantom pains, the, the mm-hmm. having to, to get around at night, taking off your leg and what, with my back injury that I had from football before, like what kind of, what would your thoughts be in this? And obviously talk to several different people with it. But again, that was another thing getting to, uh, have some people to run things by and to get to come back home to Amarillo to have some community to kind of mold it over and do a lot of prayer with. So, Wow. And so the decision was made, obviously, yes, you still have your leg to to keep it and and do the internal prosthesis and had that surgery. And I'm sure it wasn't all roses from that point on either. There were, there some, some hiccups or. Yeah. And actually I think that surgery itself was, Probably the hardest, the next eight months was probably the hardest time I'd had with all of my cancer treatment. And I know a lot of people were surprised by that just because the chemo was extremely hard. I had a very, had a, um, couldn't move my leg. I had a very open, exposed wound throughout that didn't heal. Um, So I was in a lot of pain and very sick during the, the initial year of chemo, but Definitely the hardest time was this eight months. Again, it was two and a half years out at this point, not putting weight on my leg. I think I was just discouraged at hearing nine months from now, you'll get to put weight on your leg. Oh my gosh. And kind of getting to a point to where actually the surgery had worked the second time and was starting to, we saw some progress. It was going to be, I was months out from getting to put some weight down finally. So I think I was just that initial discouragement (laughs) of just, how do you mentally cope with all the feelings that you're going through? You know, uh, I didn't cope well that time, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. And I, and I think that's just a, the, kind of the truth throughout all of this process is even though in general and large, I, I coped better overall the, the first couple of years of this. Um, there's definitely was always days that, that were not pretty, that mm-hmm. that lost my cool, got frustrated with God, got frustrated with my parents, mm. <laughs> which again, I, I, looking back, that was one of the hardest things for me now was even just losing my cool with my parents at times just because I was frustrated in general yeah. the situation and they were kind of the collateral damage there <laughs> yeah. of all people who were sacrificing and taking care of me throughout that process. Did you ever feel guilty like you always had to put on this happy face, everything was going to be okay? I did. I did. I think there was times where I really, um, I think as people asked me, because I, I, I think that the, the genuine answer was I really was doing well up until this point, just just in general. Again, I really just had leaned into to my relationship with God and my family and friends that he'd put there for me. and And, and truly... Uh, the months leading up to this, to my leg snapping in half um, and having to kind of start over again on surgeries, I, I really wasn't doing well at that. I wasn't spending time uh, reading the Bible. I wasn't spending time in prayer or really just in a great place mentally when I got at that point, which again, I, I know that we all have those highs and lows. So getting that big, that, that big news at that point it, it kind of led to a different trajectory over the next eight months as opposed to when I got even my initial cancer diagnosis. But, um, but yeah, it was at that point still, I think when people asked me then 
when after that third surgery when I was struggling for a while. At that point, I definitely felt like I was kind of giving putting up more of a front sure, when they yeah. asked how I was doing. Great, great, and, great. Oh, great. Yeah, Wonderful. it's fine. Or if they caught me at the right time, it was the exact opposite of that. Uh, but you know, as a, I, I talk about this a lot in my Bible study, just kind of talking back about this stage of my life. And one of my favorite scriptures is John fifteen five, and Jesus says that that He's the vine and we're the branches. And if someone abides in Him and He in us, that we will bear much fruit. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Well, I was definitely living at the the trail end of that, and I wasn't abiding in Him to a high degree, and I was definitely felt like I could do nothing and hit, it hit a wall. Yeah. I definitely wasn't abiding and seeing the, the fruit of the spirit evident in my life. I wasn't patient. I wasn't being kind and loving at many times. And, and that was just very apparent by um, just the markers of that fruit not being there. And I think as I kind of look back, it was, it was very apparent to family and friends too. But you know, when people would check on me or, or just strangers that I would meet in that time. It was very different. It was, I was not the typical Tanner that, that yeah. I would have been. Well, it sounds like they allowed you to process and work through all of this rather than, I'm assuming, rather than telling you, hey, you need to snap out of this. You need to straighten it up or you need to, you should feel this way. Did they, did, did they allow you just to kind of work through all of this on your own or how? You know, there was, there was, Yes and no. <laughs> I think there was a lot of times that uh, I was I was allowed to process through that. Um, there was definitely some uh, critical moments that family and loved ones were just had to tell me, "Hey, you need to you need to get out and about." This was what had happened after that initial surgery was I'd had a friend that was with me that was younger who had passed away from the same chemo as me in the hospital while I was there. I, I had. Um, the first time I had to get a blood transfusion. So I'd lost a lot of blood. I was pretty sick because of it for a few months. I was on bed rest for a while. So I think at this point, I was used to seasons where I was kind of out of commission for a while. But at this time, even though I couldn't get up, I was had a lot of vertigo and couldn't uh, get up and around like yeah. I did prior. I didn't really need the type of care that I did during chemo. So there's a lot of time just by myself just on the couch. And I think that's, that's why I really struggled at this point. There was a lot of depression and loneliness, anxiety that came up. And again, instead of leaning into that, to the, to my relationship with God and my family and friends, um, I was kind of just doing the opposite. And I just kind of let myself, I went off to summer school. (laughs) I wanted to get caught up in school. Parents had encouraged me to stay here and just rest get better. I wanted to go off and got an apartment by myself in College Station, Texas in the summertime is very uh, empty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so wasn't wanting to go to church, wasn't wanting to open up my Bible, wasn't wanting to get good sound advice at the time. So I kind of held held all those relationships at a arm's length. And 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 that's that's why that time was such a hard time for me. And really, again, it, it stretched out to, to eight months because this, this process had started that February. And it was really about August or September by the time school had started back up in the fall that, that I really hit a breaking point. I remember out praying to God, telling him I needed to fully commit my life to him and, and just change some of the things that I was not doing that wasn't very disobediently. And the same thing with parents I called them at 2 a.m that night and in tears apologizing for just the way that I had (laughs) handled things and just didn't want to call didn't want to talk to him I was off again over eight hour drive away Mm -hmm. and it it was very hard for them to again and I was just had done the exact opposite this time so so again that I, I got to it's almost like I had experienced going through this process all over again and First time, did significantly better. Second time, hung in there. Third time, didn't. Yeah, not so good the third time. Yes. So you're at MD Anderson uh, for this surgery. They have um, probably some of the best supportive care. Did you um, 
tap into any of those resources? You know, it, it, it took a while for me to do so. I, I was often asked to go to things like a support group, like a young adult support group that, 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 that we have coming up. Uh, but I, I didn't do so then. Um, I remember, and, and this was kind of just the, on a given day when I had, when there was good times and bad times, when I had decided that any given day that I was, I had decided, Hey, I'm going to just get out today. <laughs> I'm going to try to not just sit in a pity party and actually uh, live out the great commandment and the great commission and get to go, go find people to go, to try to encourage Just people and, and, and be social and yeah, talk oh, to people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, in the midst of that, I went to just some, I would wheel around in my wheelchair and had found a, a large area in the, that was uh, called the, the garden or the, forest. it was just a, they had a bunch of like little trees and plants inside and had a place to where people could get out. And, and in doing so, there's a room off of that and it was called Kim's place. And I just kind of saw over time some younger people going in there. So one day I, I went ahead and just went over, rolled over there and noticed that it was it, the sign that said that it was for people 15 to 30. So it was a pretty wide range, but um, I, I kind of stumbled into this place that was uh, kind of a getaway, a little oasis at MD Anderson for, for people my age. Yeah. And um, that, that was, I kind of went reverse. I, I then started to um, take advantage of some of this, the resources that they had for young adults as I was there and kind of got to hear about them in a laid back kind of casual manner. And um, I'm very grateful that I did because I think I was very, for whatever reason, I was hesitant to, to get involved or didn't feel like it or just didn't feel good. Right. Uh, many of the times that they had presented opportunities but but was very grateful that I had stumbled upon this and and then did start to take up on just conversations, getting to meet people that age, uh, being more social, and then um, agreeing to, even if it wasn't an actual support group, just getting to, to kind of create those ourselves and, mm-hmm. and kind of take that into our own hands and get to build those relationships. Yeah, many times those support groups, things happen organically. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it. Uh, Tanner went with us uh, to our guys and guns mm-hmm. deal at the gun range. And you start to see, well, what did you, Oh, I had, yeah. I had, and how did you, and who did you, and where did you, and all those things. So they do kind of happen organically, um, which is great as well as a uh, more structured support group. Um, would you say that Kim's place was, was really kind of a, a, uh, um, a blessing and a safe haven for you. Oh, absolutely. It was definitely a, a, a safe haven. Uh, again, as we talked about prior to just not having quite the independence that, that, that we had prior. Um, one of the rules that they had there, which was very unique was that, that unless obviously they let parents would help kind of get me in and uh, get me situated. Cause there was definitely some needs medically that I needed uh, taken care of just as I came in initially. Uh, but one of the rules was actually even parents weren't allowed unless uh, there was just that immediate need right then. Uh, but it was just kind of nice to get to have uh, and for my parents to get a break for me, for me to get a break from my parents and for, for the age to be really protected there. Um, it was, that's kind of one of those other reasons that let that be a safe haven was having just it was just younger people a safe right. space a safe well, place. And, it's, and it's you you're as you said younger people you're for the most part in the same demographic in terms of age meaning sure. some of the same things oh i didn't get to go to college i'm hoping to go or i'm struggling with this and which is totally different than a 50 60 year old person um who's not worried about going to college right. or doing or doing life things that, that, that young adults would do. You know, Ryan, oftentimes we talk about the young adults and how can we reach them. And I'm super excited that we are going to start this support group with Tanner. That's right. But a lot of people, um, 
uh, get consumed by what is a young adult. Yeah. You know, Pam, it's funny too, because, um, and, and Tanner, uh, we talked about this early on. Well, what exactly constitutes a young adult? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, well, you call me a survivor. I feel like maybe I'm not there. Again, those are labels, and it's not a black or white. Um, there's a lot of gray mm-hmm. in there. And, um, you know, for a young adult, we there's this there's a, there is a definition, right? Mm-hmm. So the definition of a young adult survivor is like 18 to 39, um, and so, but that doesn't mean that if, if you're 40, that doesn't mean that, oh, you're, you're, cut you're cut out, you're too old, you're kicked out, you, you got to go to the adult table, you know, I mean, it's, that's not it at all. And that's the way we've approached this young adult support group. Um, there will, there are some very adult ready 16 year olds, maybe, or 17 year olds or mm-hmm. 41 or 42 year olds. So we, we talked and, and it's one of those things that, um, I think you'll know if you belong, um, if you're a little older and like all these, all these young kids are talking about this and I need, we have an adult support group right? and we want you to come to that. And Tanner, so for the young adults listening, you know, taking that first step, um, coming to a support group, what would you tell them? You know, I would just say, just give it a shot. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was the biggest thing that, that I didn't do for the longest time. Uh, when I was actually going through chemotherapy, uh, was just, I said no to a lot of things. Uh, I, I had a lot of assumptions about what a support group would look like So from from movies and televisions, from just uh, mm-hmm. seeing what, um, I guess what things that even, I, I think the hesitancy of my parents pushing certain things that uh, maybe I even just wanted to have the idea on my own. Yeah. I don't really know exactly necessarily. Because they want me to go. I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I know. I've got one. And oh, we yeah. all are there. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I was so grateful for just going, like pulling up to Kim's place and just giving it a shot and getting to, to meet those people. And, 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 and then later getting more engaged. I think it was something that I had a lot of, uh, I guess at the time I wouldn't have said any fears about it, but just again, just some anxieties or not wanting to have to 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 engage to a degree that maybe I wasn't comfortable with one day. Sure. Which I was so grateful to see as I went on that obviously there's days that I felt bad and people understood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> again, that was they understood. They understand. Because they get it. They get it. They were going through it as well. Right. Um, you know, one of one of the friends, MJ, that I had met that, that had passed away at that last surgery that I had had, um, you know, as people would come and visit me in the hospital, uh, I, I was really appreciative of, of MJ and his relationship with me just because he he understood it. Even very, we, we all, regardless of what diagnosis you have, it always looks different for any individual. It's very unique. But there's definitely elements that were very common to us. And the difference was, is the days that I felt bad, he would come in and he'd sit down and he would just sit there or read and just kind of be present. Mm-hmm. And, and I was very grateful that he understood yeah. <laughs> on the days and could, could read my face whenever, man, I'd really I'd love to talk. <laughs> I don't feel like it can't really do that right now and engage to the degree that, that I would like to even. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to, explain myself to him. Hey man, I, I would like to talk. I just can't. He just got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and probably vice versa. You got him too. Sure. Oh, exactly. So I think again, I, I, just to, just to give it a shot yeah. is something I would tell anybody because man, I was, I was so pleased and we're, and, and I truly believe we're not going to be able to have that kind of process, uh, progress that we did on just even enjoying and having <laughs> the peace and the joy that, I, I receive from God and that we can receive in community with other people that man, the, the time that I, that I did not handle this whole process well was, and that at that point, two and a half years in was the one point that I stopped engaging in community and, and man, yeah. I would tell anybody, encourage anybody to just give it a shot because man, I, it wasn't, it doesn't mean everything is fixed immediately, but man, that's when you really start to see 
that, that I really started to see. And, and from working at a church, as we see people engage in community, to see people that engage in community in the hospital, whatever that setting is, uh, man, it was, it's really encouraging to see that, that that process only starts when you allow it to. Community, yeah. Pam, let's talk about this real quick because um, it sounds cliche to say um, something like no one or, or no one should go through this alone. Um, you know, we, we've all, we've said, oh, no one fights alone or those types of things. Um, but it is true. You don't have to, just as Tanner said, um, some of the, your deepest, darkest moments were when you were by yourself and you had kind of recluse, you know, and, and, and you don't have to do that. And even if it's just being present in a community still makes a big difference. That's right. And that's why we have all the things that we have here. Yeah. So people can get involved and they do have community and. And there is no question. We've seen it. You just said it. Our listeners are probably nodding their heads. You get it. Cancer survivors get cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. I've never, I don't know if there's another group of people of like minds that, that get people more than cancer survivors. Nobody wants to be part of that group, but whenever you're part of that group, it's the best group to have. That's right. Yeah. So I know um, I'm anxious to hear the rest of the story. You recovered from your surgery. Did you graduate from college? I did, yes, and I actually did it uh, in a semester short of what would be normally uh, traditionally in seven semesters instead of instead of eight, and so I definitely had. Look at you. Had, so, are you the loudest and proudest Aggie out there? Maybe not, but <laughs> I loved my experience. I often got made fun of of being the two percenter that 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 wasn't, but I think, and I think part of that. Definitely personality, <laughs> but uh, also just getting started when I was, the doctors had suggested maybe waiting uh, after that first year. And I just told them, you know what, I, I just, back to the community thing, I said, I don't, I want to get engaged and I know I'm not going to feel great. And I didn't feel great a lot, which yeah. did kind of limit just my, the activity was how hot it was <laughs> when I initially got down there. It was a large campus trying to, crutch around and, mm. and navigate through. Uh, so that, that kind of limited me at first, but, um, but no, yeah, I definitely love my time there, but, uh, so also another thing that gets brought up with young adults is dating. Did you find that hard to date after your diagnosis? I did. Yeah. I, mm. you know, I kind of looked back and kind of got to assess this, but, uh, in about a six year period, I, I figured out that I didn't live in the same place for more than six months at a time. And this isn't just the semester to semester with a gap in between uh, there, or other than one year, I had a two consecutive semesters in that six year strand. Um, I would due to issues with my leg, had to have another surgery and withdraw from school um, from doing an internship and, and living away at first semester. Um, I just, I found myself like, kind of being displaced a lot because of the circumstance. And so it was very hard to, to engage or there was definitely, I had went on some dates, didn't really date traditionally uh, to have a girlfriend through that period because kind of by the time that that started to naturally form, I was gone for another six months and there wasn't enough there yet to really (laughs) kind of keep things, try to do anything long distance. So, so definitely it made it difficult, circumstantial, uh, at the time, but, but now you are, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged now. I'm so grateful. Uh, autumn is my fiance and we're going to be getting married this coming May, May 28th. And I'm just, again, praise God for her that he has put her in my life. And, uh, we got to, to meet a little over a year ago uh, at our church. And again, just in community back, in, in community. And I know I feel like I keep finding these opportunities to talk about it, but just, you know, as that comes up, it's that's, that's where we, we got to meet and we, we, we were talking about it this weekend. We got to go cake testing, which was my favorite part of the, <laughs> so what, far of the wedding flavor plans. was the best. <laughs> We get Miss Piggy's white on white cake. White on white. <laughs> you can't get wrong. That's right. Well, you you really didn't even have to taste that. You could have just said, "Oh, it's from there," and this is yes. And mm. yeah. oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but we talked, and 
Autumn just, her mom came in town for that too. And we just, Autumn had made the reflected back and just said, man, I'm just so grateful that I got to, I went to church when I did, that I got to meet you when I did at this time of being from the Dallas area and just <laughs> had a two year time of graduate school that she was here for speech pathology that uh, it would have been very easy for us to never have got to meet, but just so grateful that, that we were able to. And it was just from her coming up to church and getting to, to, to meet me in the lobby too. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> just yeah. being in community yet again, that we even got to, that I got to meet my, my now fiance. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That is really cool. Well, Pam, let's talk about real quick about um, the, the um, classes and the times and so mm-hmm. forth and what it'll look like. Yeah. And, um, so Tanner, the, the young adult support group is going to meet on the second and fourth Mondays, second and fourth Mondays of each month. Correct. So uh, today is the 18th. So the fourth Monday of January will be the 24th. So uh-huh. next yes. Monday, this yes. coming Monday, um, is actually the first one. We were scheduled to have one previously, but we, we moved that. So we, the 24th is time to have that done. Now, one of the cool things that we're doing with our young adult support group, and we're going to test the waters, if you will, but if there's somebody who can navigate this, I guarantee you it's the young adults. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, we understand and we get it. You've got families, you've got jobs, you've got um, kiddos maybe you've got whatever you've got that may stand in the way of a support group. Um, but we're going to provide a, uh, zoom option. Uh, we obviously we want you to meet in person. It's an in-person group, but yes. if, if life gets in the way, uh, if you're having treatment and you're not feeling well, but you feel up to just, um, logging in and maybe turning your, your camera off and you just want to be present in the, in the support group, we want you to have that option. So uh, there is a Zoom link um, there. Um, you, you, you can access that access that in a couple of different ways. One is you can call up here to the Survivorship Center and speak to Mary Bell or Pam. And that number is 806-331-2400. Or uh, there's a um, on our um, Cancer Survivorship Center Facebook page, there's an event created that has the Zoom link there. So that's the first thing is live, in person, or zoom available now tanner if i am a young adult coming do i have to talk do i have to tell my story no absolutely not okay you know again i work i work in a church uh, during the week and uh, we just tell people even even when they about joining a bible study to begin with is hey come when you can i mean be there in person when you can when you can't you can't but man it's it sure makes a lot more sense to come when able than to not engage or come at all or because man, it's the times that you do, it's going to be that much more beneficial. And again, I think it's very, there's a lot of benefit to being in person, but again, if you, if you need to come over zoom, please do that. That's better than not, <laughs> not engaging at all. Allow yourself to take that time for you. Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself the time, mm-hmm. right? You've, you you deserve it, right? That's right. Yeah. Now, also, we hear things like this within our support groups. We're not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya or uh, do anything kooky or anything, are we? No. <laughs> not <at all>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any other way to describe that. Are we going to laugh? That's, yeah. Joke? Have yeah. a good time? Yeah. You know, just throughout the whole process of going through my treat, whether it was while I was going through chemotherapy, whether it was just... Uh, trying to recover and, and get better early on. And it got easier as I, as I got further out from this. Uh, but whatever point I was, I was <laughs> whatever like snapshot or, or point in my cancer process that you caught me is, um, man, I just, I just loved saying like, it feels great to feel normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. It feels great to, to do some normal things that are more normal than we're kind of back to normal. Yeah. We, we, we say that all the time with COVID going on too. Can't wait till it gets back to normal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I just, I'm just getting to meet and have these support groups and just getting to, to talk and, and, and truly just to be there to bear one another's burdens and support one yeah. another and visit is want it to look as, as normal as possible because that's, that's one of the things that got hijacked <laughs> with the initial di- diagnosis was, was normal. Yeah. Right. That's a really good way to put it. 
your your normal processes, your normal just got hijacked. Yeah. Uh, now, last thing, last thing before we get to our last thing, I should say. Um, <laughs> Tanner works at a church. This is not a Bible study. Yeah, correct. It, I just <laughs> want to make sure everyone understands that. And, and that's okay. Um, we're not shying away from that. Basically, what I mean by that is, is this support group will be what you need when you need it. And Absolutely. It, it, I, you know, we've talked and it'll be primarily dictated by the attendees where, you know, what do we, what do we want to do and how do we want to go? And what do we, you know, it may look like you go, you know, to the bowling alley or something, one, one next class or next, next support group. I mean, it, it, who knows what it'll evolve into, but it is what you need when you need it and whatever that looks like. And it's just a group there to support you. Um, as you're going through much like we do at the center, we say, we come alongside you at your, at your point where you are in your treatment, whether it's in treatment or out of treatment. And we, we walk the journey with you and that's what this is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Tanner, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know it's going to be an inspiration to those that listen, but we like to leave our listeners with the Pete's powerful moment. We are sponsored by Pete's car smart Kia. Do you have a powerful moment in your journey? Yes. you haven't oh. already shared. I oh, no, it's yeah. all been pretty powerful, <laughs> yeah. Pam. Oh, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's many that are <laughs> hard to hard to even pick from. Um but you know, I, I would just say just in general just kind of the big theme uh and um, a lot of the powerful moments that I had through that process again was just exactly what we've been discussing throughout is just the community component. I mean just really getting to, it's been so powerful to get to see, um, just the people that God has put in my life, the family and friends and strangers that, uh, man, it takes, it takes some discomfort at times to, to engage people. Uh, and just, I think in general in life, but especially when you don't feel good (laughs) and man, I think just some of the most powerful conversations I had, some of the most encouragement that I got from other people, it came through being around other people. And so, man, I, I can't think of a, of a powerful moment that I experienced that didn't involve uh, being in a relationship with God, being in a relationship with people and just taking that, that next step to, to, to get engaged. Yeah. Wow. wow. You know, Ryan, we talked about, uh, communication a lot last year maybe community should be our focus it, word this year you know it it is coming up a lot here isn't it it is and i think um you know we all have community of one for one form fashion or another and in a, in a very hard time like going through treatment i can't think of a better place to be than with a community that understands That's and right. gets it so i am super excited about next monday um, this coming Monday, next month, the 24th, let's just say, you know, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. The 24th. If you are as, as excited about it as we hope you are, let us know, reach out to us and let us know that you're coming RSVP. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's going to be something that, um, can be life changing as, as Tanner just explained. Just take that first step. Yeah. Take the first step, check it out. Uh, make sure, you know, you let others know, uh, who are going through, uh, treatment or have been through treatment about the young adult support group. Um, you know, it's on our calendar They can go to our website, the number two, four survivorship.org 24 survivorship.org. You'll find the calendar there. Uh, we encourage you to get plugged in. Um, if young, if a support group is not your thing, that's okay. We have other options of things that you can do on weekends, uh, evenings during the daytime, even at lunch. So, uh, there's a lot of opportunities to plug in, right, Pam? That is. Just call us. That's right. Give us a call. Check out our website. And then make sure you join us next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>